1: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I talk to Michaela Peterson, daughter of Jordan Peterson, about her battle living with chronic pain from juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, hypersomnia, Lyme disease, psoriasis and dyshydrotic eczema and extreme debilitating depression, all diagnosed when she was as young as two years of age. By the age of 17, Michaela had had hip and ankle replacements, and by the age of 22, she didn't think she could live with all of this anymore. However, she decided not to give up on her health, no matter how helpless it can seem, and went back to university to study and find out how she could help herself. Now, at 29, married, mother of a four-year-old, all these are in remission through strict dietary adherence and mind management. We also discussed the impact of SSRI and stimulant withdrawal and the need to be an advocate for one's body and mental health just before we begin, I just want to remind you that this year, my annual mental health retreat is running in Dallas, Texas from the 2nd to the 4th of December, and it's really going to be a mental health retreat. I'm going to be showing you in a very practical way how to use the neurocycle to manage depression, to understand and manage anxiety, to find the root of anxiety, to help your children with depression and anxiety, to deal with things like trauma and understanding where it comes from and what to do about it. I've got amazing guest speakers. One of them is my friend Michelle from Destiny's Child, and we'll be unpacking her story of depression and how she managed her mind to manage her depression. It's going to be amazing, so go register at drleafconference.com, and the link and details will be in the show notes. And one more thing before we begin, this podcast is for educational purposes and not medical advice, so if you need medical advice, please contact the appropriate medical professional. And now, on to today's podcast. Michaela, I'm so excited to interview you. We had such a great chat recently, and I, I love what you do. I love your podcast. I love how you are such a very confident, deep thinker. That is amazing. I'm not surprised. I mean, you are the daughter of a philosopher, but you, in your own right, have a very, very, very strong and excellent opinion about so many things and you're also able to see so many things from so many perspectives which is really interesting in someone who's actually so young so I'm very very excited to talk to
0: you and welcome and thank you for joining me today thank you so much for having me on that was quite an introduction I'm flattered I had a great time having you on my podcast so oh, this should
1: yeah. be good it should be good it's fantastic well Michaela tell just tell the listeners who you are No, no, most people know who you are but just tell them who you are and then I want to hear your story. You have a phenomenal story from a young child all the way through. It's just, it's there's so many lessons to be learned. So tell them who you are. And I'm going to start with a question before we dive into a story after you've told us who you are.
0: Okay. So I'm Michaela Peterson. I would say a lot of people know my dad, Jordan Peterson. I have a podcast, Michaela Peterson podcast, that I started about a year and a half ago. I just finished writing... A book about my experience having an autoimmune disorder. So, I think a lot of people know me because I've been on a very, very ridiculously strict, all like beef and lamb diet since December 2017. And a lot of mainstream media wasn't very happy about that, but I was on that for severe autoimmune and mood disorders. So, that's a bit of a background. I, I don't think I'm so used to doing the podcast that I don't know how good I am at just saying, you know, <laughs> you, who I am. You're excellent. No, you're excellent. You just it's good. That's a great
1: overview we can dive in more because you've, you know, you've put you've got some really heavy pills of wisdom to to impart from your experience because from a very young child you you were in a lot of pain from a young child and some of the things that I've, you know, listening to your podcast and talking to you, you made certain comments like at 22 you thought you were going to die and you've been in pain since seven and you've had uh, ankle replacements and things that <laughs> as someone of your age, you've gone through a lot. You've gone through a lot and you've lived with a lot of pain for a long time and a lot of emotional pain as well. And there's so much that you've handled very admirably. So I'm very, I want to hear about your book more. I know that you've been writing that and I know you were finishing it off in one of my favorite places, Croatia. So, but before we start, I want to ask you, most people will, I believe, ask you, and I've heard this done before, ask you, what have you learned from your dad? I'm going to ask you the other way around. What you, if your dad came to you for advice, what would be the top three things that you would tell him? Oh,
0: That was a tough
1: one right off the bat. bat.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the things I bugged him about for a very long time was diet because he has a similar mood disorder or similar autoimmune symptoms, whatever's going on. We can talk about that later. So I've already imparted that wisdom on him and that has helped him a lot. So it would be, be careful what you eat, be very, very careful what you eat, especially if you're a more sensitive person, what you eat can really impact your mental health and your physical health. And people, I think it due to social media, people are becoming more aware of it, but it's not really in mainstream medicine. So that's number one. Second piece of advice, don't prioritize work. That would be directly for my dad. Don't prioritize work because I know when he puts work... And he, he does tend to put work above everything else, which is part of the reason he's so successful. But prioritizing work is also really hard on your mental health like what you should be prioritizing is your health staying like calm and sane so i would say don't prioritize work let's see third i guess it'd be along the same lines just you know be easier i think be easier on yourself like have some self-compassion and that's one of his rules Treat yourself like someone. I always butcher this, but treat yourself like someone you're supposed to be helping or you should be helping. And so I tell him that all the time. So good.
1: Do you see, you said three profound things that are impactful just for every single person? Because in this day and age with the quick fix mentality and technology and people giving a badge of honor to those that are so busy, you know, it's like you've got to be busy to be productive. You've got that's like your, you know, the goal. It's leisure time, prioritizing, not putting I mean that's phenomenal, not putting work as a priority and you know, really giving yourself that compassion. Those are such vital things for mental health and mental peace. Now you're obviously starting to apply that in your life and I assume your dad's applying that in your life. Has it changed things for you, for your family,
0: for how you see your future? For how I see my future, definitely. It took me a long time to realize that work shouldn't be a priority. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm not that old, so it didn't take that long, but it took long for me, I think. So I figured out my autoimmune disorder and I went into remission, my and I felt absolutely amazing. I was like, "Well, now I can do all the work I didn't I wasn't able to do as well. I'm so productive." And so then I tended to do way too much work and then I get stressed out and I it was actually a shock to me when I realized that stress that wasn't related to a disease could impact your mental health, which seems obvious, but I remember, you know, overworking and having things go wrong in my life, but being healthy and then feeling worse and worse and worse. I was like, how, how is this What's going so if on? I'm Healthy. Yeah. So that took a while to figure out, but I think the future is looking brighter now that I'm, what am I doing differently? I still get wound up in work because I really like work and I, it makes me excited and it's fun. So I still get wound up in work, but what I've actually been, this is very new too. this is very new. I haven't talked about this yet, but I've been looking more into religion because my dad, my family wasn't really very religious. We didn't go to church. My dad was always into like the significance of the biblical stories. So I was aware of the biblical stories from more of a psychological perspective, but just learning more about that and just learning more about that has calmed me down a little bit from the like existential angst that I've been experiencing. So that, and then I, I do, I mean, I exercise, I have a really strict diet. My sleep is pretty good. So I, I know I have to take care of myself or I get pretty crazy pretty fast.
1: This episode is brought to you by Bitty Baby from American Girl. Childhood is a critical stage in brain development and significantly impacts how we learn to interact with and treat other people. Thankfully, there are so many great ways to foster healthy imagination and play in ways that nurture traits of love, kindness and care, including playing with Bitty Baby, which is one of the best ways for moms to introduce their little ones to the world of American Girl. I love that Bitty Baby offers an array of playtime combinations that offer unique nurturing and grow imagination. From daily activities to special holiday celebrations, Bitty Baby gives your child so many moments to enjoy. Moments that will inspire kindness for a lifetime. You can teach your child that kindness is the ultimate gift with Bitty Baby. My listeners can get an exclusive one-time offer of 15% off your order of Bitty Baby products with promo code DRLEAF at americangirl.com. That's americangirl.com promo code DRLEAF. Exclusions include 18-inch dolls, Courtney Arcade, and Bitty Baby furniture. See americangirl.com BB podcast for details. The link and details will be in the show notes. So, this is amazing. So, you, here you are 30, 30. 29. Almost, 29. But not th- quite. Sorry. I thought it was 30. I thought you were 30. Here you are, you've really got your life together. And I know these, that doesn't mean that it's perfect. No one is. We're all a mess. That's why I always talk, call this podcast Cleaning Up a Mental Mess. And that's totally normal. It's part of being human. But the reason I wanted to start at the, like where you are now and then work backwards is because. People will look at you and I'm sure it's happened. They'll say, oh, well, you've got everything. You've got that great background. You've got this, you know, but you have a story that you could, it could have, you nearly at 22 felt like you were dying and here you are seven years later and you've got a four year old, you're married, you've got your life on track. You've yeah. got your, you know, you've, you've worked out certain rules for your life or you've t- philosophies for your life and you're digging deeper and you're getting that spiritual aspect developed, which is very powerful. You haven't hit that. Very much, you know, like that often only comes when people are like on their deathbed or when they're really old or when they're so burnt out that they can't function. So what I'd love to do now is backtrack to your history and tell us how you got here. Because you got here on a journey that's very unique to you and everyone has their own unique journey, but you you had all the wisdom around you in the world that you, you still had to take your life in your hands and fight for your survival, literally. So mm-hmm. it's a fascinating story. So I'm going to hand over to you for your amazing story that's now going into, well, you've almost finished your book or it's finished. Is it it's finished? It's
0: finished, but it needs a lot of editing. It's too long. You know, there's a lot of trauma in there that I'm not sure everybody wants to, or could learn from. So I need to take away some pages, but that's part of the process. That's part of the process. Get
1: it all out and then you trim it all down and shape exactly. it. To, which is really exciting. It is exciting. I'm having so more started, of a hard time with that. Editing it down. Yeah. That is a thing I know. Cause I've written so many books and You you know then your editor comes along and says oh take this whole chapter out or take this whole set I'm going no it's got to stay it's like you get so attached to what you've written so I know what you're saying but it's it's an excellent process to go through just to get it all out that's part of that healing process well let's let's track now let's go back in time and time travel back to when you were seven or even younger I don't know where you want to start with your okay go for it let's hear your story
0: okay so when I was two. I started limping. I was just walking with my feet out. And when I was seven, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I, it was active in 37 joints. So it was almost everywhere except for my spine. Yeah, it was in my jaw. Like it was really everywhere except for my spine. And so that was when I was seven. I was put on two pretty intense immune suppressants fairly quickly. So methotrexate and Enbrel when I was eight. I was actually the first kid in Canada to use Enbrel. Yeah. So that was eight when I was soon after that, actually, probably after the age of six, I started experiencing depression. My parents didn't really recognize what that looked like. But when I was 12, I was having, I wouldn't say suicidal thoughts exactly, but I was having thoughts like, would it matter if I was still here? And I was having extremely vivid nightmares. I wasn't sleeping well. I don't know how much of that had to do with the medication I was on, the immune suppressants, or just being like inflamed and sick. But I was having extremely bad nightmares. And my doctor at Sick Kids sent me to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist put me on at that time Selexa. So an, an SSRI. Yeah, when I was 12. And initially it felt like it helped. Like I relaxed. So initially it felt like it helped. And so I had this idea like, thank goodness for doctors and pharmaceuticals, because I wouldn't be able to walk without them. Like when I went on the immune suppressants, I went from being almost wheelchair bound. Like if we ever went out, if we went to the zoo or something, I'd be in a wheelchair. I went from that to playing sports with the immune suppressants and cortisone injections into a bunch of the joints. If I may interrupt you one second there, you mentioned in one of
1: your interviews that I listened to, when you were chatting and I I don't know where you picked this up, but you spoke about them... Talking about idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis, which yeah. just basically means I don't know what it is. You know, that's
0: yeah. So they didn't give you it the- was idiopathic. Like everything I had or was diagnosed with is, was idiopathic. I was initially diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but I didn't have any markers in my blood. So later they changed the diagnosis to juvenile idiopathic arthritis,
1: which meant they didn't know why.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then in grade eight, I started experiencing like chronic fatigue. We didn't really know what that was either, but I was just, I was completely exhausted all the time. I wasn't sleeping well at night and that just got worse. I also started getting itchy. So my whole body was itchy. That happened at the same time as the chronic This is too much. The pain, the medications, the side effects, the the diagnosis,
1: the depression medication being given that's not even safe to give to a child of that age. And now the itchiness and rashes. I mean, that's just like, and you're hitting puberty too, where you're so aware of everything.
0: Yeah it was not good but it was also because i hadn't experienced like i couldn't remember feeling good really so my baseline was like that's kind of what i felt like i actually didn't have a comparison to what feeling healthy felt like until i got healthy and then that's when it hit me about how sick i was so so that was 14 was having this like chronic fatigue and itching and then when i was 17 i had my hip and ankle replaced because my body completely destroyed all the cartilage in my hip. And even though I was on the immune suppressants, I was injecting myself twice a week with these immune suppressants, but 17, all the cartilage was gone in my hip and I was in so much pain, I couldn't sleep. So I couldn't get into a position at night that felt okay because the bones were rubbing on each other. So that was grade 11 and I was put on OxyContin. And honestly, I don't think I would have made it without I'm not a fan of pharmaceuticals now, but I know when they're needed. And I don't think I would have made it without the Oxycontin that year because I couldn't sleep. And getting that was a pain because they didn't want to like, they were like, no, you're going to, you know, you're going to get addicted to it. And I was like, well, I can't sleep. And I remember my rheumatologist and she was like, have you tried ibuprofen? That was her response. And I was like, I'm getting a hip replacement in like three months. Like ibuprofen doesn't cover. I know I couldn't believe it. That was the first time I thought, okay, maybe doctors don't know everything. So I was like, this doesn't add up. So then that same year, right after I had my hip replacement, my ankle, all the cartilage in my left ankle, so the other side too, I feel like it would have been more convenient if it was the same side, but the other side, all the cartilage was eaten away and I needed an ankle replacement. And so in November, about five months later, I guess, May and then November, I had my ankle replaced. Okay, so that was 17. Then I went away to university and my like, psych symptoms worsened dramatically. So I, I moved away from home. I completely changed my diet. I was, you know, surviving off of beer and cinnamon toast crunch and pizza. And I went, I was really not doing well. And so I was bounced around from a couple of pharmaceuticals I was on. At this point, I was on Ciprolex instead of Celexa, and I was on double the recommended dose, which I didn't know until I went to a walk-in clinic and said, I can't like live like this. And, and the walk-in clinic doctor said, we need to reduce it. You're on too much. And I just like freaked out, bawling in his office. And he was like, okay, let's just maybe keep things the same for now. So I was put on Wellbutrin. And I was put on 450 milligrams of Wellbutrin and I ended up having a seizure. I stopped taking the Wellbutrin. And then On top of everything else, there was total polypharmacy going on there. Oh, I was on, I don't know how many medications I've taken in my life, but the, by the time I finally started turning my health around, I was on seven of them. But not, not that this is funny, but so eventually I was diagnosed with idiopathic hypersomnia, which is chronic fatigue, but we don't know why. And I was put on Adderall and strangely enough, the Adderall actually allowed me to wake up enough to start researching, to figure out how to put myself into remission to get off of all the medications. So it's just strange how that happened. But when I was, so anyway, there's one more thing. So when I was about, I dropped out of university because I got too sick and I couldn't get out of bed. This was before I was diagnosed with idiopathic hypersomnia. I moved back home. And I started getting this rash. So that itch that ha- I had since grade eight started turning into this blistering rash. And at this point, I was like, it was really horrible. And I thought, okay, I've been dealing with arthritis. I've been dealing with you know, major depressive disorder or bipolar type two or whatever you wanted to call it, depending on the doctor I went to. But I cannot handle this blistering rash because I was getting like, this rash on my face and i was i was just like this is this is so bad and then one of my one of my cousins on my dad's side not cousins second cousins she had a similar skin problem and she was really really sick and she was a little bit older than me and i thought oh, i hope i'm not going in that direction because she was she was basically in the hospital so i started researching that was when i was like i think i'm going to die because I hit Christmas one year. So I was 22 and it was Christmas. And this blistering rash I had just didn't heal. You started getting these blisters and then it didn't heal. And I went to some like doctors and I went to emergency and things. And they were like, we were just not sure. And about six weeks later, it kind of went down a little bit. And now I know it was because it was Christmas and I was eating like dessert every day. And I later found out that this rash was associated with celiac disease. It was called dermatitis herpetiformis, and it's the skin manifestation of celiac disease. That took me probably almost two and a half years of searching to figure out. Uh, and you figured it out. When you, you went back to university at that point. Was
1: that the point where you went back to university to go and study?
0: Yeah. So I went to, I dropped out of university, and then I went to makeup school for about six months. And then I was in makeup school and I was doing some of these makeup and my wrist was just killing me. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm like standing here. I'm going to have a job where I'm standing on my feet all day using like small hand movements with arthritis that might just like take my wrist. So I dropped out of makeup school and I had to take all my high school sciences because I missed a year and a half of high school getting my hip and ankle replaced. So I had to go back. I went online and finished all my high school sciences, which was really frustrating because yeah, it was like 22. So I did all my high school sciences and I got into biomedical science at Ryerson and I, I thought maybe I'm going to need a PhD in microbiology or something to figure this out. So I started to, you know, I took all the, the first couple of years of undergrad science, biology, chemistry, physics, calculus, all that, and started researching. And so it was during that time when I discovered the dermatitis herpetiformis and that can be treated by this medication, this serious antibiotic called Dapsone. I tried taking that and it was like my rash went away. And I thought, okay, I had my genetics done. I did all the genetics for everyone I could in my family to see if there was some sort of genetic disorder going on. Like I went down every rabbit hole I could go down, finally figured out this rash, connected that to gluten, cut out gluten immediately, didn't notice that much of an improvement, but at least that summer I can remember a little bit better. I stopped taking my immune suppressants because I thought maybe the arthritis is, you know, immune systems can couple. Maybe the arthritis has something to do with the celiac disease. And I wanted to monitor for flare-ups without being artificially suppressed by the immune suppressants. So I just stopped taking them. I didn't tell my doctor because he would have said no. So, and at that point I was like, this isn't working, like nothing's working. So stopped taking that. And then in September, I started an elimination diet and at that time, that was 2015, September, and there weren't a lot of online areas for paleo and keto like there are now. It's great that you can go to these communities and talk to people now. But at that time, at least I there were probably small ones, but I didn't even know what the paleo diet was. So I I thought I'm probably gonna be researching this for the rest of my life, you know, to try and figure it out. Because I'm either gonna fix this or it's gonna kill me. And I can remember thinking I'm like, I'm gonna do whatever I can. To fix this. So it didn't feel like much of an option, really. Like my skin wasn't healing. And so I was like, wow, this is what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) This is the problem. And so I went on what would now be referred to as a very limited autoimmune paleo diet, where I was eating, I wasn't eating pork, but I was eating all other meats. I wasn't eating grains. I wasn't eating soy, processed food, sugar, dairy, eggs. I cut out anything that I thought could be associated with an allergic reaction. That's why I cut out dairy and eggs as well. And in that first month, my skin started healing, which. Wow. You must've been so happy to start seeing progress. I wasn't even happy. I was on so much Adderall. Like I was taking, I was taking 40, 40 milligrams extended release in the morning because yeah, but i started lower and I was falling asleep. Like seriously passing out on anything lower i think i was also extremely sedated like i was on i was on 40 milligrams of ciprolex so that's that's so I, that's probably i didn't know it was would cause sedation like that until i got off of it so it could have been that that i think would have been the main one causing sedation that i was on
1: this episode is brought to you by la quinta by window your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. On average, an antidepressant can have up to 3,000 side effects and sedation yep. in- Suicidal ideation, all those kind of things are part of that. Oh, but yeah. they, don't, they don't tell, they don't, there's a whole document that doctors are supposed to go through with patients. And by the time you've seen that document, you actually won't want to, you know, you think, wow, okay, this is a lot that I'm taking on. And that's what people need is informed consent. But anyway, I, I don't want yeah. to digress from your, but that's, yeah, more than, more than likely. So here you were in a probably me, a medicine-induced kind of sleep, slumbery Possibly. state. And then you were trying to counter that with another medication. So it was medications yeah. fighting each other in
0: your body that was already battling. Yes. That's what I assume. I can't be certain, but when I stopped taking medications, and I'll get to that, I figured out which part of my symptoms were side effects and which ones were it, because I had assumed that everything I was experiencing had to do with the arthritis, right? And that was before I was put on any medication. And then when I stopped taking them, it was like, oh oh, a whole bunch of these are side effects. I was not very impressed with that. I had like, I was twitchy, very, very, very twitchy at night, like hypnagogic jerks, but I'd wake myself all the time twitching. I had, this is the, this is the symptom that really makes me angry. I had restless leg syndrome so badly that I can remember sitting on a mega bus on the way home from Montreal to Toronto Trying to sleep because I was so tired and having this crawling sensation in my legs so badly, I was like hitting my legs because that it made it feel better, and I thought that that was part of my autoimmune disorder, but that was purely SSRI side effects. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, completely unacceptable. And- And no doctor told you, did you ask doctors about that? Yeah. I mean, all of them, like I went to my rheumatologist for my skin. Like my parents were there and they were were like, you know, talk about your skin because I was embarrassed about it. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I have this rash. Could it be a side effect of like the methotrexate or something? And they're like, no, it's definitely not associated. Like at at that point, none of my symptoms were associated with each other. So I had, you know, like I said, major depressive disorder or bipolar type two, but it had nothing to do with the arthritis, which had nothing to do with the idiopathic hypersomnia, which had nothing to do with the rash. And it's like, oh, do I have like six different problems or is it one thing that isn't being addressed properly? That's a very, yeah, that's
1: intense. That's intense. And no doctor could actually guide you through that. So you were slowly but surely trying to
0: unravel the mystery. Yes. Yeah. So I, I went on this autoimmune paleo and I lost three pant sizes and five pounds in the first month. So it was mostly bloating but bloating went almost to zero. And I, I had never in my, yeah, it was, that's really shocking. Yeah. I, like this, three pounds, three pant sizes. That does not make sense. It, it, so there's obviously it inflammation
1: sense. means disease. So, you know, that bloating was an inflamed gut and that's crazy. Yeah. And, and no I had,
0: doctor had ever said anything or given any advice or any, well, made any links? I'd been to, so no doctor, no. I'd been to a naturopath. My mom had brought me to a naturopath before and they were like, you should cut gluten. Like we found candida, you know, these things. But I was so, for lack of a better word, brainwashed by the medical community that when, when they said gluten, I thought, oh, you mean like one of those gluten-free California girls. I was like, yeah, okay. As if that's the cause of me dying, right? Like that seems like a little bit too simple. (laughs) It was too simple. Yeah. And it, and then, I mean, cutting gluten improved things, but it was the, I I went through a couple of, a couple of the suggestions the naturopath had. Like I tried a candida diet, diet, I went sugar-free. I tried, eventually I tried gluten-free. I actually felt a little different then, but a lot of these diets didn't do anything. And it was just like insulting, and I was just angry. So, anyway, paleo diet. Three months into that, I wasn't tired anymore. So I was still taking my idiopathic hypersomnia lifted. That's significant. I mean, that's like you sort of almost like lost over that, but that's major. I mean, you were ex- well, and that ex- also means it probably wasn't an SSRI side effect exactly because it, it was, it was still combination. On the, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you still on yeah. them at that
0: stage. I was. So three months, three months in. Yeah, I think so. I have notes. It's in my book. I stopped taking Adderall and antidepressants at a very similar time. So I was off immune suppressants and then I stopped taking the antibiotic for my skin because my skin healed. And then I stopped taking Tylenol 3 at night because the arthritis in my shoulders went away. I used to take Tylenol 3 because I couldn't sleep on my shoulders. And then three months in, my depression went away. And my fatigue went away. I can't remember which one went away first. And I'd never felt anything like that in my entire life. It was like I'd gone from living in hell that I had, didn't know I was living in to being in heaven. And, and so I stopped taking Adderall way too quickly, probably. But and I just And the SSRIs, stopped. you stopped those pretty quickly too, didn't you? The SSRIs you stopped- Yeah, so that, that I think is why I'm on my current diet. So I stopped taking the SSRIs and I'd been taking 40 milligrams for, I, at least since I was like 15. And then even when you were six, didn't they
1: put you on, uh, well, they, you, twelve. at six is when they first diagnosed you with, with the extreme
0: depression. Well, they thought my, my parents saw the depression at six. I was diagnosed at 12, it was 11 or 12. That's when I was put on SSRIs. So if I can ask you a quick question about that, and then we'll pick up on
1: your, where you were at with at the point in your story. But that living with depression, basically for almost three quarters, if not 70, 80% of your life until it were at that point, what did that feel like? I mean, you said you went from hell to heaven, literally
0: in like that okay. time period. So living with depression felt like, I don't know how to, I, when I was living with depression, I, I used to try to describe it to other people. And what I would say is it's like your dog just died all the time, but then my dog died and it was the depression I was experiencing was so much worse than that, that it's not even a good comparison, but it felt like when I was walking, you know, on a bright street, just walking down the street, it felt like I was walking through an alley about to be jumped. So I had this constant feeling of like kind of horror behind me. If I got surprised, my friends found this hilarious. If I got surprised at all, I'd scream, just full out scream. Like I had- So very vigilant. Oh yeah, in, to an insane amount. Like there'd be something that looked weird on the floor and I'd be like, so how else can I describe it? I couldn't see colors vividly. Like when the depression finally left, my sight changed. So the reds I was seeing were dulled when I had depression. So it's like music bugged me. So I couldn't listen to certain music. Oh, sound. Yeah, I had sound sensitivity like crazy. So if there was a song on the radio that was a little bit too tinny or something, it still kind of bugs me. And I think it's from that. But if it was a little too tinny, I'd I'd have this horrible crawling feeling. And I don't know how much of that was from SSRIs or from the depression but it made me angry at everybody I loved. So I was insanely lonely, but people who were close to me irritated me to a ridiculous degree. So I'd be like, I have this horrible loneliness, but I hate being around people. So there's all this paradox. Oh yeah. And I don't know. I honestly don't know how I'm really not happy with my experience with SSRIs. So I don't know how much of that was side effects or being in a constant possible state of withdrawal. From taking a huge dose. And then I don't know. Yeah. It's all a combination
1: because the SSRI is like an anesthetic. Basically that's what they are. So it just numbs and it numbs your ability to process. And that's where the irritation and things can come from. So it's a combination long-term. It's, and obviously your body was just so vulnerable at that stage from everything that you had suffered. And so the increased vulnerability of your whole entire system would yeah. have made you hyper sensitive to anything. And especially something psychoactive like
0: antidepressants and the combination touch. with Adderall. touch everything you can do oh, yeah. you, everything oh, touch can... was yeah touch used to be like i can re- if i was really not feeling well and someone came in i'd go like this you know like don't touch me kind of thing. oh it was it was horrible so it was like being in hell it really was like i couldn't you know it felt like that movie what's that tv show with the upside down stranger things Oh, strange things when everything goes. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's so that's what it felt like I was in, but I didn't realize that it felt like that until I felt better. Oh. And so it stopped. And I, at that point, I literally, it was such a different reality that I thought, I almost thought, you know, is I almost thought something religious had happened. Cause I was like, this is, completely unbelievable i can see colors i'm calm i had this sense of calm here that i'd never experienced before and touch and all those things yeah, everything had touched, changed. just calm like yeah and i felt like i think i wrote about this i felt like the embodiment of luck like i turned from being unlucky with everything to being lucky so your whole perspective changed as well yeah yeah like instead of you know if i had a vespa at that point Because I I got a Vespa when I had my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17 so that I could get around. That was like the one highlight of that year. My parents bought me a scooter. But so I had I had a Vespa and I can remember being late for school because, or potentially being late for school because my Vespa was out of gas. And normally I'd be so insanely angry at that, that I, I that I'd have to like try and calm myself down. But I remember being like, huh, the anger isn't there. I'll just walk. It's nice out. I was just, I was just like, this is And absurd. that was quite quick,
1: Mikhailiv. I'm hearing what uh, you're yeah. saying. That shift was, and that was when you had actually got off the
0: medications. You were no. literally no, med- no, you were still no. on. So it was the diet change. It was yeah. The- so it was three months wow. into a very strict, like I was only eating seventeen on foods. E- seventeen foods. Okay, and they were. Meats I had this and- list. Yeah, meat and like healthy fats and salad, and some root vegetables, but not potatoes. It was pretty limited. Although I think I was having apples at that point too. But it was a list of 17 foods. So I was like, this seems to be okay. So yeah, I felt better. I stopped taking Adderall. I think I stopped taking Adderall first. At that point, once you felt better, once your body... You had this like Yeah, this I didn't complete shift,
1: this life shift, literally. This it was a yeah. life
0: shift. Yeah. And I didn't stop taking I stopped. Yes. So this is the order it happened in. The fatigue went away and I stopped taking the Adderall. And that's when I started getting these like kind of highs almost. And so I felt I felt pretty good. That was when I stopped taking the antidepressant because I had always thought I thought, okay, I can get my skin under control. I can get my arthritis under control. Wow, the hypersomnia is gone. But I had this idea that the depression I had was a genetic disorder because my dad has it, my grandpa has it, my great-grandpa had it, and it just wrecked my great-grandpa and my grandpa quite badly. So I thought this was just something that was running in my family. And so when the depression lifted, I was completely mind-blown. And that's when I went to my dad and said, this is like this is unbelievable. I look like a different person. I'm not sleeping all the time. My skin is healed. He didn't believe in diet at all. Not, not even a little bit, but he saw what happened to me and thought, okay, well, I should try that because it was such an obvious such difference in Such a radical me. difference, yeah. It was right. Like I started being able to communicate with my family. I remember my mom was crying because she was like, I haven't seen you, right? Like it was huge.
1: Like many people these days, I've been struggling with uncertainty. What does the future hold? What will tomorrow look like? All these anxieties have made everyday activities like sleeping a challenge, which is why I've started using CBD to help support my mental health and brain detoxing. I have found that CBD is a great help with sleep and reduces pain, anxiety and inflammation. However, the CBD market has become extremely saturated over the last few years. It seems like now you can buy CBD in almost every coffee shop or grocery store. The only brand I trust is Ned when it comes to CBD products. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, using full-spectrum hemp oil products extracted from organically grown hemp plants. All the products that Ned offers are science-backed, nature-based solutions that provide an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Every night I use Ned's Sleep Blend, which contains CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep along with 750mg of CBD made from the world's purest single-source full-spectrum hemp oil as well as organic and wildcrafted botanicals used in traditional medicine to foster rest. I also love their full-spectrum hemp oil, which helps de-stress my wellness routine with a single all-natural remedy for alleviating stress and anxiety. If you want to check out Ned and try their full-spectrum hemp oil or sleep blend for yourself, we have a special offer for the Cleaning Up the Mental Mess audience. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash Leaf or enter Doctor Leaf at checkout or 15% off your first one-time order only, or 20% off your first subscription order. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash leaf to get 15% off your first one-time order, or 20% off your first subscription order. The link and details will be in the show notes. But That's massive in terms of like the whole, because you're still on all that other stuff. But in the midst of all of that, I just have to to say this so that everyone hears this and whoever's watching and seeing, in the midst of all this, like how do you even survive what you've just described? You still kept pushing through and you kept pushing through and you were searching for yourself. Your mind was driving you in this direction of survival. Yeah. And it, it's just incredible. And then you, the diet, what you put into your body and that radical change and then the recommunication with your family, which then, you know, all these things sort of building together to give you the courage to then start weaning yourself off or getting yourself off the, the other medications and
0: I mean, that's, yeah. that's major. Thank you. It was crazy. It was crazy. And I was going to doctors saying, how is this possible? And I was in school. So at that point, I was taking cell biology and immunology. And I was thinking, you know, and I mostly I was researching, but I found these kind of immune responses you can have that people can have to food. They're just delayed reactions that work on. They're not instant reactions like IgE allergies the IgG mediated sometimes that kind of same kind of reaction people can have to bacteria or viruses. And I was like, well, maybe food is getting into my body and And cumulatively over time. It's building. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm having this type of immune response to food particles that shouldn't be in my body. So that goes into like leaky gut and which with celiac disease, I was like, well, that's definitely something I had. Yeah. Bloating would have been related to that. Oh In yeah, the enteric nervous system, the gut
1: brain, the depression, the epigenetic yeah. factors. All, these are all epigenetic factors that you're talking about,
0: which are fascinating. They, this entire thing was fast. I was fascinated. But then I, so I was only taking, at that point I was taking birth control and Ciprolex and I stopped taking birth control. I was like, I don't want to be on anything anymore. Like once I got rid of all of them, I was like, I don't want anything to screw this up. Yeah. And then I stopped taking my antidepressants and I stopped taking them over a two week period. And I had absolutely no idea because I stopped taking Adderall. And honestly, I didn't really notice that. Like that felt okay. You were lucky. Yeah, that was your body. I think I was lucky. Mm -hmm. You were because it normally would have been, could have been. Well, it could have contributed. I don't know. It could have contributed to how bad the SSRI withdrawal was. Potentially, but SSRI
1: withdrawal is, is fortunately now these NICE guidelines are recognizing, but it's been a fight up until even this year for, yeah. for, for doctors. And there's still so many doctors that don't recognize the dangers of antidepressant,
0: SSRI withdrawal. Yeah. So, so I, I went off over two weeks and I, you know, my family doctor was monitoring me, but he didn't know. And so he, I was like, I cut in half. And it was like, "I feel even better now. cut it, cut it in half again, feel even better. went off of it, and I was like, "I feel fantastic. You know this is great and then two weeks later, and then I was having these really I felt pretty good for about two weeks, and then I was having major soy cravings because that was a big component of my diet before I went to the paleo diet. It's like soy sauce on everything sushi. I was just you know I, I ate out all the time a lot of Japanese food, and so I tried to reintroduce soy and The next, I had a really bad reaction to the soy. Like My stomach was immediately, immediately, extremely unhappy. And then about four hours later, I got itchy all over my whole body. And I was like, okay, no soy for me. It was fast. It was really fast. And I thought, oh, who cares? As long as I feel like this, I don't even care if I'm eating soy. And the next day I woke up and and the depression was back, but it was worse and it was different. So I, I... I got up and I was just like, something's wrong. Like it felt like something horrible was about to happen, like something wrong. And impending I got out of bed. doom kind of thing. Impending, impending doom. doom. Mm-hmm. Horrifying impending doom. And I got into the shower and I can remember crying in the shower thinking, how could I be so stupid and naive to think that diet could solve some of these reactions? Like, how could I be so stupid? And I, when I was 17, I... One of the ways I survived that year of having my hip and ankle replacement is I turned off, I shut off something inside me. I can remember I was, I had just had my hip replaced and I found out I needed my ankle replaced. And they told me it was going to be, yeah, this still gets me. They told me it was going to be a three and a half year waiting list. And I was in so much pain again, right after I had my hip done that I couldn't sleep. and. Fortunately, my dad got a hold of the Canadian government and they pushed it through. And I went to a private clinic in Vancouver, but there was one night and I was in bed and I couldn't calm down. So I was just like full blown panic, eight hours. And I can, I was just like, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And maybe like seven, dad was there like patting me on the back being like, we better fix this fast. And I remember I turned I shut something off. I had this visualization where I built walls that were like super thick and super high. And I was like, I'm just turning off my feelings. Coping mechanism, trauma, a trauma response that protected you for that in that time. Yeah. So that that's something I only realized like way later when I was much more healed that I was like, oh, these walls are still here and I don't need them anymore. But I remember that was very vivid when I was 17. So when i was crying in the shower when the depression came back i can remember being like how could i be so stupid i'd like i'd made a conscious decision to not have hope because having my hope crushed was so painful and now i had had hope and now the depression was back and so over the next this is when things get really crazy and i only recently figured out what happened so i was like maybe this will only last a couple of days maybe it's cuz i reasoned with myself i was like no i had digestive upset i got itchy everywhere You know, I had like body odor, which I never have that day. I had this brain fog and depression, and I was like, this had to be the soy. So quick. Yeah. So such a quick response. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a quick response. So so the depression worsened and it worsened the next day and it worsened the day after that. And I was so dizzy. I was at my parents because I didn't want to be by myself. I was at my parents and I asked my drive my brother to drive me home and he dropped me off outside. My apartment. And I walked up to my door and found my key and turned around and he looked at me and I hallucinated a demon head on his, on his head. Yeah. So for about a second and a half, it wasn't just a flash. It was like a second and a half. Cause I was looking at it. It was a demon head and then it turned and then it was my brother again. And he drove away and I was at my door and thinking, okay, I stopped taking all my medication and now I'm insane. Like not you know, bipolar, but like full on hallucinating. I was like, I don't even know what kind of mental disorder that is. Uh, right? it was, so, now you know that that was withdrawal. Let me just like- Yes, yes. Part of the withdrawal. So, I mean, it's just- I
1: didn't, I didn't know it was withdrawal uh, until this year. That's terrible. I'm so, so sorry. It, it's just too many people that I have heard, like yourself, have experienced like the thinking that there's something that you're insane, that you broke and that meanwhile, it's the yeah. medication.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I'm not very, not very happy with that, but so what it was withdrawal. And then I managed to lessen the withdrawal with a very, very low carb diet, but for the next year, but I didn't know it was withdrawal at that time. So I kept trying to introduce foods and I was okay to see if it was. Yeah. Yeah. And every time I introduced foods, I'd have this 24 day and I kept track of it in Excel and monitored all my symptoms, 24 day reaction where. My mood would worsen and it would get worse for about seven to 10 days. And then it would start to improve. My arthritis would come back. I'd have mouth ulcers. My skin would break out. My fatigue never really came back, weirdly enough, but it, there were, it was horrible. And so I had one of these reactions. As you introduced the food, so it's interrupt, you would check these
1: 21 day cycles almost literally. And that's exactly yeah. 20, 21, 24. That's exactly what we go. I know. You, I mean, it's mind and brain and body go through those cycles of 21
0: with anything, with any kind of damage, healing, processing. Yeah, and that's why the conversation we had was so interesting. I was like, this is wild that that explains some of what happened to me. So in the meantime, dad was on this diet too. And he was losing weight like crazy. He went from 217 to like, he lost 40 pounds that year. And then it was 2016 when he went viral. So it's after he lost, the weight of doing like this paleo diet. And then sometime after that, he also stopped taking his antidepressants and stopped taking them way too rapidly and went into severe SSRI withdrawal. Neither of us knew what was going on. Both of us thought like we're having these food reactions. So we're like, how are we so sensitive to these foods? And we were having exactly the same cycles, exactly the same reaction to foods. His reaction didn't have arthritis, but it looked more severe he had like weakness on one side. It was just insane. And so then he was like, it "Was this group psychosis?" I was like, "No, my skin is breaking out. I have arthritis. This isn't in our heads." But no doctor told us what was going on. And like I said, it took and me. They didn't I didn't mean, tell I went, you
1: about no one told you about tapering strips or anything like
0: that. You never had anything. Oh, this- not even a little bit. No. So so anyway, the diet. I I went you know, up and down with these food reactions for about a year until I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just stick with my 17 food diet and be a little bit saner. Cause like the reactions were so horrible. Yeah. It was, they were so horrible. It's hard to fathom. And what I now know was happening was it was causing akathisia. Mm, no gosh. So that's also a side effect of the meds. Yeah. Yeah. And rapid, rapid withdrawal, but the hallucination, yeah. cause I had I had a hallucination maybe eight times with, in the midst of these reactions. And so I think the best way to describe that would have been akathisia, which was just like this horrible sensations and just like no one would be able to live like that. But I could like remember this. It was like, no, I felt good. Like I felt good for the first time in my life. I had this like these couple weeks of feeling good. There's gotta be some way to get back to that. So anyway, then I got pregnant <laughs> and my symptoms kind of came back. So that then I had arthritis even on my 17 food diet. And that was really heartbreaking. So then I I probably was depressed without a break for almost a year. Pretty, but I wasn't taking any. I was like, I'm not taking any medication. I don't, I don't need it. This is like something else. It's food reactions is something else. And I eventually... So I had Scarlett. She's four now. I had Scarlett. And when the depression didn't lift four months into breastfeeding, I eliminated all the foods i was eating except for beef because i kept having this like itching and this arthritis and i was like why am i having these what look like food reactions and how do i eliminate all the factors all the variables i can eliminate and i thought well i don't think beef is doing it and i thought okay i'll stick with the diet for like a month and then start to reintroduce but it it helped pretty rapidly i went from eating at that point, I'd cut most of the carbs so I was eating meat and salad and I just cut the salad. And it was a rough month because I was getting some hell from my in-laws about not having enough nutrients. And I was really scared about being on this diet. And I had, my digestion was upset, which I now know can happen when you switch on to that diet. But I didn't know, that seemed like a bad sign to me, not a sign I mean, of well, health. It's a, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah getting worse before you get better mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. but six weeks into that my depression went away and I don't mean like I felt loads better I mean I stopped crying every morning so that was depression going away and then five months later well once the depression went away I tried to reintroduce something right away (laughs) I tried to reintroduce organic olives and I had again another like severe reaction where I was miserable for a month so then I stopped five months later, my anxiety went away and I was back in that reality that felt like heaven again. And so that's kind of when, you know, Buzzfeed and everyone went after me and dad for this all beef diet, which I think we were, I'm not entirely sure what's going on still, but I think we were forced onto because carbs were exacerbating the SSRI withdrawal. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was like light sensitivity, touch sensitivity, sound sensitivity, temperature sensitivity, everything. And was I couldn't eat any carbs. To,
1: your nerves were raw, basically. Your, your yes. readings and everything yeah. about
0: yeah,
1: yeah, and become like that. When you have a million things to get done on your to-do list, the last thing you want to do is double or triple check your vocabulary or grammar on your email platform, in Google Docs, on social media, or any other online platform. It can be really stressful to try find small edits, which is why I absolutely love using Grammarly Premium, a program that gives you real-time suggestions on your writing so you can get to the next item on your list in record time. I use Grammarly Premium every day to help me get my message across quickly without repeated or unnecessary words, whether I'm sending out my weekly newsletter or a post on social media. Grammarly Premium even offers suggestions to replace overused words and phrases and make sure that what you do is not unintentionally plagiarizing someone else's work. Its advanced time-saving features help me write more clearly and efficiently and streamline my work with seamless integration into Microsoft Office, my internet browser, my phone, and more. Even with the free version of Grammarly, you're safe from embarrassing basic spelling, grammar, and punctuation mistakes. Hit send with confidence and get your point across more effectively with Grammarly's Premium. Get 20% off Grammarly premium by signing up at Grammarly.com forward slash Dr Leaf. It's 20% off at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash Dr Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. Just a quick interesting thing, I interviewed a nutritional psychiatrist about a year ago. And this particular nutritional psychiatrist eats what you and your dad eat. And everything else was literally killing her. Is that Georgia Ede? Yes, Georgia Ede. I love her. Yes, me too. And I mean, she's amazing. And she, like when you're talking to us, I'm so glad you know each other because she had a very similar experience. Well, it's different, not similar in that, in that the only thing that worked for her was pure meat. And it doesn't mean she puts all her patients on that. She obviously works with all of her patients in terms of their specific needs, but for her, and she was in the medical community, and she was getting so sick all the time. And all of her doctor friends were telling her, "No, you can't do this. You've got to have this." And everything, nothing worked until she was just purely on meat, and she got healed. And even now, to, in this today, as far as the last time I spoke to her, if she introduces anything else besides different types of meats, her body just completely plays up. And you know that's what's, we've got to look at you, you, you and your dad, and not George, Doctor Edies, You're not saying that's the only diet. You are saying that that extreme diet is working for your particular, yeah. how your, how your, your cells function, how your DNA functions, you know? And so that's where I never understand why when, you know, it's just media buzzfeed, people jump in and, you know, there's always, they're always looking for something to, you've got to kind of ignore what media does, but it shows you how people, because I never once saw or heard you or Georgie or your dad ever saying, this is the only way to eat. It was simply, yeah. this is what worked for you. This is my narrative. And, you very clearly laid that out now, you know, and that's, I think a message that I just think that's even worth bringing home in this discussion to people is that you've got to explore. You've got to find what works for you. You've got to find your narrative and not allow people and everyone else to shape who you are. It's get as much and and look, look, you have to drive it yourself. You had to literally drive this entire
0: process yourself, which has not been easy. No, it's been miserable. It's been totally miserable. I don't think I've, So I have a social media following and I have a couple of Facebook groups now for people who want to try the diet so they can talk to other people about their experience. And I've coined it the lion diet to differentiate it from the carnivore diet because the carnivore diet has dairy and eggs and dairy and eggs made me absolutely crazy. And the the people I've seen it work for are very, 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 very very damaged people. Like they've already, Mm, you know, they've been, yeah. Otherwise, why would they be there? Like no one is like, yeah, I'll just go to the, the all steak diet first try. I've seen some of those people, but I don't know. Like, no, most people have gone down every rabbit hole and going down rabbit holes when you're sick is really depressing. Is there well, some very, weird exactly, rabbit holes out there? Well, you just feel like, is anyone ever going to be able
1: to help me? Is anyone ever going, does anyone know anything? You know, it's so, and yes, it is extreme, but you've had to find that yourself and you've, and it's, it's great that you've actually got that group going because I mean, I know people that can't touch meat, they can only eat. As we know, there's all, and that's where this this individuality, this uniqueness, this no cookie cutter approach to diet. And that's where the wellness industry loses it a little bit because, you know, everyone's saying, this is the diet. There's no other diet and don't eat this and that's terrible. We can't say that because what may be terrible for you is not terrible for me. And so really, I always tell people well, when it comes yeah. to, yeah, like it's if someone says, and I think you said this somewhere in one of your interviews as well, you said if someone says that that is, they've got the whole answer. You yeah. don't listen to them. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Cause that's me. You tell me, you know, everything. I don't want to even hear what you've got to say yeah. because uh, or I'll listen, but with extreme caution, because
0: no one has it all. No yeah. one,
1: mm-hmm, which is really, I, really
0: important. I completely agree. Yeah. It's funny. I thought, well, obviously I've been on this diet since December, 2017. And my assumption was there was some sort of gut damage. I need to calm down my nervous system and just get out of like fight or flight and heal from the medication. And that slowly I'd be able to introduce foods back in and kind of get back to a paleo diet like I was doing initially. But I cannot, it's unbelievable. It's so hard for me to believe because it doesn't make sense. I I think I can manage to drink tea but it might make my skin break out so i'm not sure but i haven't managed to do any to introduce anything i can't even do chicken and neither can my dad and his symptoms are worse than mine the neurological ones from the ssri withdrawal yeah, he really had been, a hard time yeah well he was put on and we made we made this public but he was put on benzodiazepines after he had a really severe food reaction after he stopped taking SSRIs which we now know was the was SSRI the worst, withdrawal exactly and
1: then to put you on benzos which are even
0: worse the to, worst benzo to, to, to clonazepam oh my gosh
1: honestly yeah. I, I mean i know that you've told me this before but it's just like it makes me so angry because that was yeah. not the solution you know and
0: what you oh, saying and there. it almost like it almost killed him like really and so he's he had a rough patch recently when he we started to, This is so silly, but we started drinking these electrolytes that just have like flavor and citric acid in them as a dessert kind of thing, because we don't have anything. And he got so sick from that. So sick that, and it took us a while to figure out, because it was like, why aren't you feeling well? And it's these tiny, like, there's nothing to them. It was like, really? That can't possibly be it. Anyway, it was it. And he's slowly feeling better, but he was so damaged from medication. Like it was so damaged. It's really awful. And, and that happens to people like lots and lots and lots and lots of people online that I've connected with, with benzodiazepine or SSRI or psych med withdrawal that it kills people. It's killing people. It's
1: actually contributing to there's, there's research showing that if you get a, a mental health diagnosis and you get put on medications, you literally can chop 25 years of your life. And I mean, you and your dad have managed to avoid that, but like if you carried on the same pathway, that could very well have happened to you. There's more than a million survivor sites. I mean, we really have to be so, there needs to be more. You can't just polypharmacy. It's just so that, and and there's so these like major, ma- many messages in, in your message, but we can't just put people on drugs. We can't just think something that is so psychoactive is not having side effects because the research is out there. It's very evident that they do. And then there's, stories like, oh, there's more than a million survivor sites of people that have extreme stories like yourself and your dad. And then, and then the other side of the coin is also diet-wise. We've just got to stop this cookie-cutter wellness industry concept where you've got to have this type of thing, or that's terrible, or that's the flavor of the month, or you've got to go this. You've, you mustn't eat meat. It's so bad. Or you mustn't just do whatever. People have got to stop this extremeness and recognize yeah. the uniqueness. And that's why I think your story is very powerful In so many ways, but it it really addresses the uniqueness of your body because, as you said, you would love to reintroduce those other foods, but the minute you do, you're getting a reaction. So your particular DNA, your particular combination of how your body works together, your psychoneurophysiology, only allows for X, and it's worked for you. And so it's encouraging to people to keep pursuing. Don't give up. Just pursue and pursue. Don't give up because there will be a solution.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, some people. Some people, well, usually when I'm telling people about diet, I'm like, even paleo diet's pretty good. Like you get rid of all the processed foods. If you're in an inflamed state, you get rid of like grains and dairy and you eat more whole foods that can completely transform people just doing that. Like Not everyone has to get super extreme. I don't know if I would have had to get this extreme if I hadn't rapidly tapered the SSRIs. I'm not sure, but I'm here now. Well, any time you'll tell, because it
1: does take, you're okay now, because it does take time. You know, when you're tapering off off an SSRI or a benzo or antipsychotic or a stimulant like Adderall, your brain has to, it's already, it's changed. All the synapses have changed. You've got more receptors. So as it's changing, and that's in in a pathological direction, then it has to rewire in a healthy direction. And it's in that swap over from the pathology to the healing state that the withdrawal starts coming out. So it does take time, but neuroplasticity is is evident in your life and it is changing. So who knows down the line, who knows three years, yeah. five years, 10 years from now what will happen and to keep an open mind to that whole process. Oh, Michaela, I certainly I can, am. Oh, you are. And you you demonstrate that. You demonstrate the perseverance. You demonstrate the uniqueness that we need to look at in terms of humanity. No, really you do. And this is what, but this is what what we need to be doing as humans helping each other. Your story helps people. You. It's the, one of the key messages I try and bring across to people is you are phenomenal. You've got this core wired for love, but our wide for love looks different, and you found me to be your wired for love diet at the stage of your life, and you know you yeah. whatever. So it's it's to find that and to get that uniqueness going, and to honour that uniqueness and to honour that that perseverance and this, the narrative and not put people in boxes. That's really important. That's a very big key component of your story. I want to wrap up with something else that you said that I love because it's something that I say, and I thought I'm not the only one saying this. You said people are really good at helping themselves when they are told they are able to. The large problem in society today is yeah. that we are basically boxed in. And I loved that statement because it really is, pe- people don't want to be, you know, there's that balance. People, we don't want to be, say oh, you, you, you're not healing, it's your fault. That's terrible to say to someone. But if someone, so what you want to do is empower a person to feel that they can help themselves with the help of whatever you need to help yourself. But that thing, so just talk about that. People are really good at helping themselves when they are told they're able to. And that the problem in society is that would have been boxed
0: in. So one thing I, I realized, I think I would have started like advocating for my health and researching and reading scientific papers. And I started pretty young. I started when I was probably 19. So that was pretty young. But, but I honestly think it would have been more helpful for me to go to the doctor and for them to say, Oh, yeah, you're really sick and we can't help you. So you're going to have to figure it out yourself. I honestly think, like, that's harsh, but I honestly think I probably would have been in better shape now instead of putting my trust into somebody else and saying, Okay, they have the answers and they're saying that. I'm stuck like this forever. So I'm stuck like this forever. And then just, and I wouldn't say, you know, abdicating responsibility there or anything, but but I think it would have been more helpful for me to have heard from someone that, hey, like, first of all, I really do pe- believe that people have the ability to just search for information and heal themselves. I really believe that. And I think that what you do is you go and you start listening to people who are telling you that you can heal. So they're saying, try this, you can heal. Don't go out, if you're going to someone and they're saying you're screwed forever, find someone who isn't telling you that. Find someone else, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think people hear about that enough. So go find people who are saying, this is how you heal and then start researching and start trying things out and start listening to your body and, and trying to identify patterns and take notes and just be your own advocate because I think it's fairly evident that people, especially people in America, are getting sicker and so what we're doing is not working so you're your best advocate right now and that's probably the, pr- the only person who's going to help you probably is you uh you speak my language and it's just powerful and we need
1: to be advocating for people to advocate for themselves I always talk about people being a thought detective and yeah. that, that wisdom that is in us we have to literally be thought detectives to try and because not everyone knows everything, and we've got this godlike vision of the medical community. And I'm listening, most yeah. of my friends are doctors, and I have the ap- utmost respect. And I was going into medicine and did part medicine with my degree. So I have, I love the medical community. I love what medicine brings. But I don't, I don't love how we put everything in boxes, how we kind of separate everything out to silos. We have to be much more integrated. We need medicine, but we need a different view of medicine. We need to encourage patients to take responsibility. In the, in the right way. And what you said, there's not throwing them, throwing them out the baby with a bathwater. It was saying, listen, medicine, it's better to say my, my knowledge is limited or medicine is limited. This is all we can offer you. I encourage yeah. you to take this and go do your own research because things keep changing. Science is a moving target. It's a never-ending, unwritten story. I know from myself, from the research that I've done. And I can tell you now that the autonomy that we're talking about, this agency thing that we're talking about, that was one of the biggest things that came out in the research I've done over all these years is that when you as soon as you shift someone's autonomy, that recognition that, hey, I I actually can help myself. I don't know how. I haven't a clue. I've got to develop awareness. I've got to do all this. But as soon as that shifts in a person, that's when you start seeing massive changes in mm-hmm. how they manage their healing. Doesn't mean maybe everything's perfect. Like look, as you said, you can't, there's a lot of stuff you can't eat, but you you demonstrate Everything. autonomy. <laughs> exactly. You've got 17 foods that you are kind of comfortable with. And maybe if two of those are the real safe, it's down, it's down. Not even, it's just. Not even 17. So so two, so you eat two things, two things. So you've got two things, but it keeps you smiling and it keeps you mothering and, and podcasting and continuing to research and you have hope for the future. So your agency's back. You, you've developed a sense of agency and autonomy, which is phenomenal and powerful. Well, Michaela, we can, we have to do a part two because I don't think we covered everything. And it was phenomenal. Thank you so much for your pearls of wisdom. Is there anything that you would like to just say in closing, any final
0: sort of statement? And then also where people can find out more about you, obviously. I guess all I'd like to say in closing is if anybody is having a really hard time and they haven't looked into diet, they probably have listening to you. But if they haven't looked into diet, then it's very, very worth looking into. And that's, I was so sick that, Exercise didn't help. Nothing helped. Writing didn't help. Nothing made me feel better. And as soon as I started really tracking my symptoms and eliminating things from my diet, and then I started getting better. So I think there's hope. And then people can find me. So I'm Michaela Peterson on Instagram. I have information about my diet. So that's the really super restrictive diet at the Lion Diet on Instagram. And then I have a podcast, Michaela Peterson podcast, and I have a couple of Facebook groups and One's the lion diet specifically for this, in the hopes that it gives someone a place someone a place to start, and then they can reintroduce foods and monitor what's happening to them. And then I have a Facebook group called Don't Eat That, and that's more for just people trying to talk to other people about their health adventures without getting judged. I love it. That's beautiful. We'll put
1: all those links in the show notes, and thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on.